Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. I am Anshul Rege, and I'm hosting the Redefining Cybersecurity podcast in place of Sean Martin, even though I look like Sean Martin. I'm Anshul today. And uh, with me, I have Sean Martin. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Anshul? <laughs> I'm fabulous, Sean. I'm fabulous. Uh, obviously, uh, we're playing a little game here, and uh, it's all about social engineering and, and education. Uh, that's the topic today. And uh, I am Sean Martin, if, if you choose to believe me. Um, and uh, you're very welcome to a new Redefining Cybersecurity podcast here on ITSB Magazine. And I do have Anshul Rege with me uh, from Temple University. Uh, and uh, she does a lot of cool things to help students understand cybersecurity and she uses uh, I'm sure many things but social engineering is one means to uh, to do that and she does a lot outside of the classroom as well. Uh, Anshul it's uh, it's great to great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah this, this is going to be fun and for those who uh, have not met you yet a few words about who you are your journey to uh into the field, perhaps, and and then maybe uh, your journey to Temple University as well. Sure. Um, so a little bit about me. I am an associate professor with the Department of Criminal Justice at Temple University. Uh, this is my 11th year here, so I've been here for a while. Um, and I also direct the Cybersecurity and Application Research and Education, or CARE, lab for short. Um, and my interests lie at the intersection of human behavior, sociology, and cybersecurity. So I'm very interested in the human behavioral psychological sides of cyber attacks and cybersecurity. Um, if you asked me, you know, 15 years ago, 
would you ever be an academic? I would have laughed and I would say, what are you talking about? Absolutely not. Um, so I've had an interesting journey. Uh, my first degree was actually in computer science. I worked for two years as a software engineer um, and then uh, experienced our first breach, which back then, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, although I'm sure you can all OSINT it and figure it out. Um, back then, we didn't even talk about cybersecurity in the classroom. Uh, we didn't know how the breach happened, but I know we were all scrambling and trying to fix this. And that made me wonder, wow, you know, there's this whole other side of things that I know nothing about that computer science cannot answer, right? Like who is doing this? Why are they doing this? How are they doing this? And there's the technical side, right? The hard science side of how, but there's also like a whole other side. So I quit my job um, and I went back to school to study criminology. And um, I looked at everything from cybercrimes at gambling websites to uh, you know, cyber attacks against the power grid. Um, and then uh, I ended up at Temple after I completed my PhD at Rutgers. And ever since then, I've just been researching more and more in this space. But what got me particularly interested in the area of social engineering was because of my role as an educator not as a researcher. And uh, what I discovered was that I had a lot of liberal arts students, because I'm housed in the College of Liberal Arts, who took my cybercrime class. And um, every semester they would say, well, I can't do cyber because I don't know how to code, or I don't know how to pen test, or I don't know how to do this hard science thing. And I had to tell them a story that I was in that space and I quit my job because computer science didn't give me what I need uh, needed to, to pursue these types of topics, right? To understand adversarial mindsets, to understand uh, defender mindsets, to understand how these intersect. Uh, these are the types of skills that computer science does not necessarily get into. Uh, and that you as a liberal arts student have so much that you can, can offer that you, you know, and you should be offering. Um, so it made me wonder, what do I need to do? How do I teach differently to make students realize that they are getting the right training? They are um, relevant, that their perspectives matter. And so I had to rethink myself, right? I had to rethink cybersecurity education for myself. I had to say, how do I change the way we are doing things? Um, and that's how I started getting into the area of social engineering because uh, this was a space that is very much a liberal arts space, right? You have to understand how people think. Why do they do what they do? How do I convince them to do something for me? Uh, and I said, all right, how do I bake that into, um, into the education space? So, so that's a little bit of, you know, a journey um, in terms of where I was and how I'm here right now doing what I'm doing. 
that's uh that's a fantastic <laughs> fantastic story thank you for sharing that um i i think there's a lot of a lot of people listening that uh will be inspired by that and and recognize what what you do and how important it is tell me a little bit about the because i guess a lot of you said you said a lot of your students and i was impressed that they actually knew what pen testing was and and some of the hard science terms. Um, but you had the, the the luxury or the privilege or the pleasure or whatever it is to be in the tech part of it first. Um, how do you help students then recognize that they don't need that when you already have that? <laughs> Because I, right. even myself, I was an engineer in the past and I, I immediately go to, okay, well, well, you can do all this stuff at the human level, which we need that as well. But ultimately yeah. it does come back down to, well, the computer works that way or the app works that way. Right. Um, so how, how do we, there are those parts. How do you help the students understand their role and not get hung up on, well, how does it work and why does it work that way or whatever? Right. Right. And I guess I'll answer you know, the question um, in a couple of ways. So the class that I teach, the cybercrime class that I teach, every semester I have a good chunk of uh, computer science students and also liberal arts students taking the class. And for the computer science students, when I say, you know, you're going to have to go talk to people and convince them to do something, the reactions are not always the greatest, right? Like, we have to, we have to do what, right? Because they're so used to not doing that. I became an engineer, so I didn't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and and they, they're like, why does this matter? And I said, I promise you, just hold on for a little bit longer and you'll see, right? And I tell them, they're also very shocked when I tell them that I started in computer science and I worked for two years in the private sector, Right. And they're like, why are you doing this now? And I was like, well, you know, there is there is many different ways to to look at how the social side matters. So I have those that group on one end of the spectrum. And then I have the liberal arts students going, well, this is not cybersecurity. Yes, it's social engineering talking to people, but that's not cybersecurity. So how do I convince both sides of the spectrum that this matters? And um by the time we get to the, you know, two weeks, three weeks into the class, both sides are sold, right? Because for the computer science students, they first of all understand that it's not just bits and bytes that matter, right? That there's a whole other attack vector. Phishing may be the most prominent one that we all know about, but there's so many other ones. So they're just like, oh, I never thought about it that way, right? So you have that mindset change. On the flip side, I have liberal arts student going, oh, I didn't know that could, you know, start a cyber attack, dropping a flash drive and hoping someone picks it up and plugs it in. What? Right? So, so when you have those types of conversations and then the projects that we do in class, right, that that get them to try their hand at social engineering in a safe and fun and ethical way, then they start really understanding the value of these types of things. 
And so if you design your projects around those types of ideas and you think about and have conversations about ethics, uh, potential implications, um, prevention, writing up your findings, right? All of these kinds of things come together to, at the end of the day, keep our systems more secure, protect our systems and protect our humans. And you give students the creativity to go explore that. I think that really has helped change mindsets more than anything else. I, I love that you have, uh, we'll, we'll say, say both sides, <laughs> the technical and the, and the, the, the psychological uh, elements because one one knows how one thing works and the other knows how the other thing works but together it becomes super powerful right and it that's does. where the really yeah. the really targeted aggressive attacks uh succeed and and uh and likely it's driven by people from from all of those aspects uh understanding human behavior computer behavior the flow of those things the, the responses you get because it's not just a single it's not it's not always just a flash drive dropped right no. there's multiple steps involved perhaps yep. to get deeper and deeper and go side to yep. side and come back out and so talk to me a little bit how the students you said a few weeks in they kind of realize it themselves but then how do they i'm assuming they do come together and go hey you're you're a great ally here let's how does this work i can get the person to do this is that going to be helpful in, yeah. in this particular activity yeah. that we're engaged in. Yeah. And so one of the things that we do um, is because we have students from different disciplines and all of my projects are group-based, I first of all tell them they have to work with someone who is outside of their field. So create groups accordingly. And I think these multidisciplinary dialogues teamwork. These kinds of things are so important and we need to start having these experiences sooner, earlier in educational uh, settings, right? Because then you go out in the field and you kind of have to do that anyway. But one of the best icebreakers activities that we've had is shoulder surfing. And um, I'm assuming your you know, audience knows what that is, right? Uh, but this is, this is one of the most fun projects uh, that we've done. And students are divided into groups. And for two weeks, they have to target each other while they are on their devices. Now, of course, we have rules. Uh, you can't capture any sensitive information. That's off limits. Uh, you can't follow people home. <laughs> and I say that because these were questions that students asked and I had to say, no, you can't do that. Um, it's social engineering, engineering in itself, right? What, what can yes. I get away with? What, exactly. But these see, but this is how you have the conversations about ethics. What, you know, right. So, so part of this also is because we are a, um, a university, students can go through ethics training through right through, through our school. And so they have to complete this training in the first two weeks. Otherwise they cannot take my class. So that's number one. Number two, for each project, right? Uh, for each project, they have to also then 
come up with their own sort of strategies, but they have to get them vetted by me. And I said, well, how would you feel if, and they're like, no, we wouldn't like it. I'm like, ah, so then don't do it. Right. Um, and why is this problematic? Let's talk about this. So rather than having a distinct conversation about ethics, you bake it into the project as you go through it, students are going to understand the ethical side of things better. And when, so they're, so they're learning about ethics, but they're also learning about, hey, you're good. Because I remember this one semester we had in the class, we had someone from the business school and he was specializing in sales. So he had the most finesse in that group. They always put him in front, like, okay, how are you going to convince our rival team members to do something and distract them so that we can get a picture of them shoulder surfing, right? So they figured it out on their own. Hey, you're good at this. You're good at this. What we see are group dynamics and divisions of labor that are coming about based on skill sets that are discipline specific, that are personality specific, right? And they get to experience this firsthand. So understanding that you not one person alone does not have all the skill sets that you need to pull something off. You have to work together. You play off of each other's strengths to make it happen. And I think that's how students have figured out also, it's like, hey, I need to find people in the social sciences, right? If you're a computer scientist or for social scientists, I can say I can talk to computer scientists to get this done. Uh, so those are also, so it's not just social engineering, right? You're talking about ethics. You're talking about multidisciplinary work and respecting each other for the strengths that you bring to the table. These are concepts that you can't teach through, a, you know, typical quiz or an exam or go figure it out in the real world. These are those aha moments that you have to capture uh, as uh, the projects are unfolding. So talk to me. I, I presume a lot of this is communication driven. There may be some things that are covert as well, like shoulder surfing is one example. But I presume that the, the communication is a big part of this. And so there's with each other, as a team with the, I'll call them the, the, the subjects of, of their activity. And then I, so maybe a little bit about that, but then also do, do you take this to what the purpose is in terms of the business benefit uh, or the business, it's impact to the business, I should say, an impact to society and how they need to communicate that externally so yeah three things there <laughs> yeah um and let's see if i remember all of those so it's i feel like i'm taking my own test right now um That's right. with each other with <laughs> yep. the subjects and uh with business and society yeah uh so i will i will start obviously with each other so i spoke a little bit about that right um with regards to the subject so one of the the people, so so with, I'll, I'll continue with the shoulder surfing one, for instance. If for those two weeks, they're not allowed to disclose to each other if they successfully captured them or not, right? You can't reveal your successful shoulder surfing captures. At the end of two weeks, we have a debriefing session and each team comes to the front of the class and does a PowerPoint and said, this is where we caught you. And the person in class that was the target 
They're like, when did you get that? I didn't even notice you were there. So, so in this case, the subject, you know, just happens to be the person they targeted who was in the classroom, but they realize how easy it is for them to be captured and how easy then it is by extension for anyone to do this and also realize that the bad people out there are not governed by ethics. They don't care about ethics, right? You do, but they don't. Um, so, so there are sort of those types of conversations when they have realizations that, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a little bit more careful next time, or I'm not going to sit with a giant window behind me, <laughs> right? And, and surf, because I know that you, that's how you all got this shot, right? Uh, because he sat there, the, the person sat there because they wanted the sun on their back and it was nice, but the people behind him could see completely, you know, what they were doing on their screen, right? So being a little bit more careful and then sort of by extension, you know, having conversations, right? Because, hey, I did this at school today, right? This is what I learned. And then this becomes dinner conversation. So I actually had students come back and say, hey, last night I was telling my mom and dad about this or telling my little sister about this or telling my grandma about this, you know, and now I'm a little bit more cautious when I'm taking that train to to school or train to work or I'm on the bus and I'm like, do I, what do I want to be browsing on my phone at this time? Does it, does it have to be sensitive information? No, probably I shouldn't be doing that. Right. So it's sort of, it trickles out that way through just a simple classroom project. Now, of course, you can scale it up and, you know, we're, we're starting to get into that space too, but absolutely. So talking to each other, educating each other, having those moments and, you know, you reflect on yourself about your own sort of cyber hygiene, if you will, and then share that knowledge because you have done it and you've experienced it you're more likely to go and have conversations about it with, with your friends and family. And that's how you get it started. It's all about starting. Um, the, the, the first step is understanding, right? And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear all, all the aha moments. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it, it tickles you inside when, when you, you see the, the students twig. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I understand what, what's going on here now. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, you're able to do a certain number of things in the classroom with, with a big group, um, but then you also take this outside of the classroom into, uh, what's it, collegiate sec TF, uh, which is social engineering uh, competition. Uh, maybe that's just the handle. Yep. yep. No, you merged with. <laughs> Sorry, I should have read that before I jumped into it. You you put on an event. Let's just go there. Yes. Uh, where it's a competition on social engineering, which sounds really cool. Um, it's actually coming up, assuming uh, we get this produced uh, before, what is it, uh, May 19th. Uh, mm -hmm. People will be still uh, still joining you for that. Tell us a little bit about the event. Uh, who, who applies? Is it just your students or is it open beyond that? Can you have people who didn't take your class try their yeah. hand at social engineering this? and so tell yeah. us a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, so the project that I just told you about, right, social sh shoulder surfing, rather, um, we have lots of other projects that we've tried out in the classroom. And so 
I would go and as an academic, of course, I have to write about these things. And so I publish and then I have to go present my findings. So I'd be at conferences and I'd present these types of projects and I'd have students from other schools come up to me and say, well, we don't have this in, in our school. Do you have a CTF? And I said, oh dear, I, I don't, <laughs> right? Uh, but that made me think, okay, maybe this should be scaled up. And then how do I go about doing that? And so um, the answer to that was the competition. And so we now have every summer this um, social insurance competition. And um, it's open to undergraduate students, of course, because that's predominantly the group that I work with in the cybercrime class. And then we started having graduate students email us going, well, why can't we participate? And I said, you're right. I don't know why you can't. So we opened it up to graduate students. And then we had high school teachers reach out to us and say, well, why can't our students compete? They're interested in this. And I said, okay, I've never worked with that age range. Um, so it added a little bit more of a administrative step and that we're working with minors. So how do we now get that approved? But we did. Um, and so for uh, the past two summers, we've been doing our can summer. I, can I, yeah. Can I pause you there? Because it, it just triggered something for me. Mm -hmm. So the, the ethics are the same. The ethics are I the would... same. <laughs> yes. It's just the tolerance and and. Oh, you're working with minors. So every time you work with minors, you have to get parental consent. Number one, we have to get background checks that we are clear to work with youth, these types of things. So, uh, you know, well, we have to go. To, the, of course, beyond it's the, beyond the just the ethics of it. Right. It's you're working with you. You have to get that paperwork done. You have to get a whole bunch of paperwork done. <laughs> but but I want to do that if they are hungry to learn. Right. Yep. Um, so so it took a little started, bit longer. Yeah. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, so but we made it open. Right. And so this is our third year that we're doing this, but we changed the theme up every single year. Right. Uh, so in our first year, uh, the theme was uh, social engineering pen testing. Uh, and as the director of the care lab, uh, I hired students to pose as pen testers because I wanted them to do a social engineering pen test of my company, my lab, and my employees, which are my grad students, right? Um, and we gave them the scope. Uh, we said, these are the flags that you can go after. Um, these are the techniques that you can use, and you have this long to do it. Um, and so we started, you know, designing this and we started promoting it. And interestingly, uh, we ended up connecting with CISA, part of DHS. And they said, this is really cool. We want to play. And I said, all right. <laughs> you know, and so they've been with us since uh, we started. And so uh, there are government sort of, I like to think of them as our partners, but, uh, you know, we don't have an official partnership, but um but they've been working with us behind the scenes. We have folks from NICE, the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. So folks from CISA, folks from NICE, they serve on our advisory board, right, as we're designing these competitions and to get feedback and make sure that we're 
you know, giving the best possible product to our students and experience to our students. Um, so that was the theme for the first year. Um, our theme for the next year was inspired by uh, the uh, colonial pipeline hack that happened and ransomware. Uh, so our theme was ransomware and social engineering. And so the, the narrative there was, oh, no, my lab's been hit with ransomware. We're going to be calling you on as negotiators to uh, represent us during the negotiations with this ransomware group. And so for that particular uh, competition, we had uh, a representative from Sentinel-1. So th they served on our advisory board that year, in addition to, again, CISA and NICE, uh, because uh, they had experience in ransomware negotiations. And this is the art of negotiation that is social engineering, right? Um, so that was a theme uh, for the second year. So, you know, they had to sort of unpack or solve the mystery of who might it be based on the ransom note and, um, you know, little bits and pieces of whatever we got from the incident response team. Uh, we had folks from MITRE ATT&CK on our advisory board because students had to then map out these sort of playbooks of their exchanges and how they got in and how they traversed through our system using the attack framework. Um, so, 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 you know, and then they had to also be able to translate these exchanges with us, the client and my bosses, right. To see, well, this is how they got in. This is how the negotiations went and this is what we recommend you do, right? Um, so, so that was a theme uh, for last summer. And the theme for this year is romance scams and social engineering. And this was inspired by the Federal Trade Commission report that came out, right? So in 2021, uh, they said that the financial losses stemming from romance scams just in 2021 were about $547 million. And then in 2022, that number went up to $1.3 billion in losses. And so we said, okay, that's a theme that we need to address because that's another place where social engineering is key. So once again, we have CISA, we have NICE, but this time we've partnered with AARP, right? And PBGC. So these are, this is what I hope to demonstrate, right? Is that social engineering is, is multifaceted. It manifests itself in different ways. And we don't even maybe make the connection that social engineering is happening, or this is how you can use social engineering, not just for an attack vector, but also a defense vector, right? Like how can you use social engineering to defend your yourself, your families, your loved ones, your business, right? How do you use these types of approaches? So that's going to be the theme for this year. And of course, if uh, you know this all too well, I'm sure from a criminal perspective, it, you don't just catch somebody right off the bat. <laughs> There's probably some uh, some back and forth uh, to get them to engage in certain ways in certain places with certain things uh, that can be used as evidence and all of that's social engineering too, right? Yeah. To, to, catch, to catch the criminal. Yeah. Um, as we as we begin to wrap here, um, I want to touch on the, the the diversity piece. You mentioned a little bit um, 
from an operational perspective, <clears throat> the students kind of interacting with each other, they have their own skill sets and things like that. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit more? And, and I don't know, are there things you can highlight from some of the previous CTFs that, uh, that stand out yeah. on that front as well? Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, diversity could mean so many things, right? Obviously, um, the one to start with, I think, is just the skill sets and your disciplinary backgrounds. Um, so uh, I think for our very first competition, we had a team that had zero uh, computer science students on it. So we had one from psychology. We had uh, one of the members was from psychology. One of them was from nursing. One of them was from uh, global studies. And when they put their application together, it was so refreshing for me to see that they said, we actually view our varied backgrounds as a strength. That's going to bring value to our, you know, to our game when we interact with, um, with folks during this competition. Right. So, the computer science students love, you know, especially for these competitions, um, love to find a psychologist or an anthropologist or a sociologist to to bring on their team. Um, one of them had an English major on their team because they did not know how to write a report properly. And the English major came to the rescue and said, give me all of your findings. I'll write it up beautifully, structured, logical flow, right? All that kind of stuff. So they figured out what they were missing and brought that to the table, right? So, so I think that's really cool to me is that I like to think that our competitions are truly open to everybody, it does not matter what field you're in. We've had music majors. We've had language majors come compete in our events. And, and the message, right, hopefully with that is cybersecurity is for everyone, right? The, the, the cyber criminals aren't looking at you and going, oh, you're not a computer science person. I'm not going to target you. It doesn't work that way. They're going to target everybody. And so this is like basic at the core of it. It's something that's relatable to everybody because we've all gotten fish emails, right? We've all gotten those pesky phone calls, right? This has happened to all of us. And that the relatability of it makes the, the, the entry into the space a lot more familiar, a lot more uh, comfortable, and a lot more, oh, yeah, this matters, Right. Um, and this I can see it's it's the way to connect to a wider audience becomes easier in a way. Right. Um, so so that to me, the fact that we we have catered to students from a diverse set of backgrounds, the fact that it's relatable to so many people, that to me is one aspect of diversity right? That matters. Uh, another aspect of diversity, of course, comes with demographics. So your race, your ethnicity, your gender, and the like. Why does this matter? Um, our, our adversaries are not homogenous. They're not. They come from all parts of the world. They, gonna, they, they look like all different types of people, right? And they target, again, without any sort of, you know, um, they, they target everybody, right, equally. And so 
if your adversaries aren't homogenous, you need to have a workforce that isn't because they're going to understand different cultures. They're going to understand different languages, different ways of thinking, what matters in different societies. And if you have a workforce that gets it, that understands these types of issues, and they bring that to the drawing board, when you're designing defense mechanisms, when you are designing building systems, when you are trying to see, does a particular segment of the population that is experiencing a particular type of, let's say, social engineering attacks, right? You know this, like the elderly might be getting targeted in a particular way versus if you're looking at, you know, certain times of the month, right? Like if it's um, right now, we just finished, um, uh, you know, Ramadan, the amount of scams that were going around over that, right? So the religious side of things. So do we have a group of individuals that is truly diverse, that is reflected in our workforce to understand the different kinds of threats that may be seasonal, right? So that's another component of diversity that is so, so important. And we need to have a workforce that is diverse, not just in terms of a skill set and the way of thinking, but also culturally diverse, right? Racially and ethnically diverse. That's that to me is a is such a strength and is a must if you are going to tackle cyber attacks on a global scale. So so that is something else that's relevant. Yeah. And uh, Marco's not here to stop me from the one more question because I always do one more and he says, no, we don't have time. <laughs> but I'm gonna do one more because he kind of that outbound see clearly you have i mean you talked even in the ctf the the nurse and the, the uh, language and all the other uh, roles that people had they then go back into hopefully they graduate and go into the workforce in different fields are there any any highlights of how students take what you provide to them and they provide themselves as part of your course and CTF that it yeah. says this, this is going to be super cool for my job. <laughs> yeah. And there have been some students that have reached out and said, you know, I took what I learned and I'm going to try it out in my new job. Right. And I'm like, okay. Um, so, so I do get emails like that, you know, that are like, thanks for that cool experience. You know, I went and talked to like, you know, in my volunteer job where I, you know, work with the elderly community, I told them about these things and we had a wonderful conversation. Um, and one of the things that I've started to do, right, in addition to continuing with these sort of social engineering projects in the classroom, uh, last semester, we started working with the Digital Equity Center on campus and they offer um, digital literacy classes to predominantly adults, right, elderly, I should say. Uh, so my students took the concepts that we've learned from class, right? The social engineering, phishing, vishing, deep fakes, disinformation, all this kind of stuff. And they went and started giving presentations um, at the Digital Equity Center to members of the North Philly community, right? Seniors in the North Philly community. And what was supposed to be a formal presentation, like they had beautiful slides and everything, ended up being a dialogue. Right. And they said, well, my granddaughter has da 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 da. Right. And then you have, it was such a wonderful dialogue because it was so intergenerational to see, you know, undergraduate students 
trying to explain these things to the elderly who were so receptive and asked genuine questions back and the students loving the fact that they could understand and explain these things. And every student that I knew who was done with that said, that was the best experience that we had because it helped them apply the concepts that they learned and translate it into everyday speak for it to be digestible for the, the regular community, right? Um, so, so we started doing that um, and, and we did it again this semester. And we're only going to sort of continue to grow in that space, right? Working with the elderly communities. We are also working with PAR Recycle Works. So this is um, an e-waste recycling nonprofit uh, that offers primarily, um, in addition to that business side of things, they offer transitional employment to previously incarcerated individuals. So these are people who are coming back after 20 30 years, technology's changed, right? So there's, we're helping with digital literacy, but we're also going to be doing cyber hygiene training there. And then the third group that we're trying to work with are uh, the youth. So last year we did free after school virtual training programs for high school students, where we just went through various aspects of social engineering. And sort of the end point of that was, if you wanted to come compete in our competitions, we'll help you put your application together, right? And so we got a few students from that uh, program come compete. But we're trying to see right there, we have three segments of society that we're trying to reach, right? And engage with the elderly, previously incarcerated and youth. And there's so many more that we haven't even started yet. So to me, again, these are the forming relationships with your communities, with your nonprofits, right? With local businesses. How can we offer free social engineering training uh, to employees of small businesses, right? Uh, so, so making it, I think, accessible, uh, in a way that is easy to understand, where you feel safe to ask questions and you're not judged, where you make mistakes and it's okay because you learn from them. Um, that's, I think, the way education needs to happen. And this is, this is why we really do need to rethink the way we teach and the way we talk about these things and not make people feel guilty or feel ashamed for having been a victim of, let's say, a romance scam right? Or whatever it may be. So that's sort of, you know, if, if anything, I, I would love to leave your audience uh, with that, hopefully, takeaway. You, you alluded to it at the very beginning, and you used the word uh, a few minutes ago, experience. And you, you can talk about it all day long. You can read a book about it. You can watch a documentary on it. But until you actually experience it, and through through you in a safe way <laughs> yeah right um it's that experience that really triggers yeah. the learning and yeah. uh super cool all that you're doing uh Anshul. thank you and uh, it's a, a treat to talk to you and a pleasure having you on the show thank and you hopefully we're, obviously we're going to load up the show notes with a bunch of links to the ctf and your program and, and your profile and hopefully people can, can connect with you and and uh join you and support you Thank you, so Thank you so and, much. Thank you so much. Everybody listening, thanks for uh, listening and watching. Uh, we decided to do this one on video. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, 
yep, stay tuned for more and uh, subscribe, like, share, and uh, experience in your own way. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.